I'm Josh, slowly adding to my Star Wars collection and slowly taking away from my bank account in the process. I love used bookstores, they're the only place I can avoid the dreaded Legends banners. And I'm Justice, attempting to beat the Kessel Run speed record in an RV with wings. TIE Fighters are a maintenance nightmare and so am I. Each month we'll discuss a Star Wars multimedia project slash multiple versions of the same story. This is a podcast that's welcome to any and all fans of Star Wars, science fiction, dying memes, and dying dreams. Today on Hyperspace Highlights, we'll be talking about the book Lost Stars by Claudia Gray. Um, so, uh, I'm excited to discuss this. I know that you read the, um, the novel, but I, I read the, yes. the manga. Ooh. Special edition. I'll have you, okay, I, I just want, um, people to know, I'm not actually that big of a, a, I'm not really a weeb at all. I have watched, like, two anime, I've, I've watched, like, maybe three animes in my life. Um, Very I, I didn't finish any of them, and one of them was Pokemon. <laughs> but, um, nice. I saw like one of these in a library but i saw like the manga in a library and i was like hey that looks cool and so naturally i did the logical thing and spent 30 dollars on the three volumes <laughs> at least you got a good deal yeah, for it i mean yeah the price on the back of each of them says like 13 so it could have easily cost me like 40 but you know i had like amazon gift cards and stuff too so nice. um Uh, so would you like to read the summary on the back of your book? Yes, I can read the summary in my amazing movie trailer voice. <laughs> All right. Um, the reign of the Galactic Empire has reached the outer rim planet of Jellicot. Where uh, <laughs> I can't speak English today. Uh, apologies, um, anyone listening. I am bad at speaking. Okay. The reign of the Galactic Empire has reached the outer rim planet of Jellican, where aristocratic Thane Kyrill and ru rural villager Sienna Ree bond over their love of flying. Enrolling at the Imperial Academy is nothing less than a dream come true for both of them. But Thane sours on the dream when he sees firsthand the horrific tactics the Empire uses to maintain its ironclad rule. Bitter and disillusioned, he, joined the he joins the fledgling rebellion putting Sienna in an unbearable position between her loyalty to the Empire and her love for the man she's known since childhood. Now on opposite sides of the war, will these friends turn foes ever find a way to be together, or will duty tear them and their galaxy apart? That was very good. Um, good job. Yes. Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna read my summaries now, because, um, I'm pretty sure these are direct translations of the Japanese summaries, so we're gonna get some humor out of this. Interesting. Seduced by the Galactic Empire's promise of unity and change, the planets of the galaxy and the hearts of their people fall under the Emperor's control one by one. Sharing a love of ships and an admiration for the Empire, childhood friends Thane Kyrell and Sienna Ri enroll in the Imperial Academy in hopes of realizing their dream of joining the fleet. The more they learn, however, the more their loyalties to the Empire and to each other are put to the test. Actually, wait, that one's not good. <laughs> I thought this was going to be funny. Okay, um... Yeah, no, sorry. This, I, I, I read... Yeah, no, these aren't as entertaining as I thought they would be. Never mind. Um... <laughs> Epic fail.
Like an extremely direct yeah, translation. Yeah, I, I thought there were going to be like direct translations like on the uh, like on the Wikipedia page. Um, right, right. Here, I'll, 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 you know what, I'm actually going to read like the direct summary. The one from yeah, the Wikipedia? I'm going to read from how it's listed on the Wikipedia, which is a direct translation of the Japanese one. Um, let me pull it up here. Okay, wait, here it is. <clears throat> Star Wars official spinoff work finally landed in Japan for the first time, two exclamation points. Lost Stars, author Claudia Gray, popular in the United States, is a long-awaited manga with complete supervision of Lucasfilm, supervising it. Youth, Thane, As if we male, didn't know. and Sienna, female, who longed for the ideals of the Empire and volunteered for the Imperial Army. Another Star Wars story of young people who tried to survive the turbulent era of rebellion, from the rise of the rebel. The Rebel Alliance to the Collapse of the Empire, Episode 4 to Episode 6. For his own justice! Two exclamation points. Two exclamation points. <laughs> that is phenomenal. Yeah, uh, okay, I, I, I know we, we, we shouldn't be making fun of this, but it's just kind of funny. <laughs> I honestly do love the part where they say that Lost Stars is, um, that was popular in the United States is a long-awaited manga with complete supervision of Lucasfilm. Supervising it, if you didn't know that they were the ones who were the supervisors of this oh, wait, and that, manga. Uh, yeah, wait, sorry, that's only one exclamation point. I was gonna say it was two. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's pretty great, huh? <laughs> it's pretty cool. Um, alright, um, So that was the manga format, like being able to actually like see some of like the action scenes and like the different types of dialogue um, and like being able to actually see character expressions rather than just having to like read about like certain like emotions that they Yeah, express. I mean it helps me out a lot. You know, if I don't know like a lot about a character, it's hard for me to like visualize them. You know, um and it's really <laughs> helpful to have like actual images of them. But um speaking of dialogue, because of the way that I assume like Japanese sentences are constructed, like the thought, like, the speech bubbles are kind of split up in a weird way. So sometimes there will be, like, like a, okay. like, a bunch of dots in the middle of the sentence. But it'll be in a weird way. Like, um, hmm. he's someone, dot, 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 I will absolutely rescue one day. I don't know. It's just, it's just kind of weird. It's it the long pause. kind of unnaturally just because of, like, the size of the speech bubbles and the way that I assume Japanese sentences yeah. are constructed. Yeah, I think it might also be done for sort of like dramatic effect or something. I'm not really sure. Like putting yeah, emphasis on something. Yeah, it's just kind of weird sometimes reading it. Um, and um, is your book told like purely in chronological order? Because mine has a bunch of like flashbacks and stuff. Um, there are some, like, sometimes you use, like, italicized text to kind of, like, reference sort of flashbacks that some of the characters will have. So they're definitely present, but I don't think... I'm not really sure. I mean, they're there, but it's not, like, incredibly common. Like, if anything, like, usually they explain everything about it, like, in chronology. Sometimes a little bit separated, obviously, since the characters eventually become, like, one serving the Empire, one uh, deserting to the Rebellion. So it kind of... Like it becomes like a little bit fractured at that point, but it still occurs chronologically in terms of like when that certain side would be seeing the event occur. Okay, because um, 
because it's like a comic format, mine has like a lot of flashbacks. Like the first thing you see, like it starts out at the Battle of Hoth, and then it flashes back to their childhood. And like it keeps. Interesting, because the one. Sorry, you you go. No, no problem. Like you know. Yeah, because then. <laughs> go ahead. Okay, so, like, you know, there will be almost, like, two parallel narratives, even if they are about the same person, or the same people, like, I don't know, like, it does catch up at a certain point, but, you know, mm-hmm. like, it does, like, it starts out during the original trilogy, and it, but then it flashes back to their childhood, then goes kind of chronologically, but then sometimes there's still some weird flashbacks and stuff. And, I don't know, it's just kind of a whole thing. It, I, I, yeah, it's just kind of weird what, um, turning into the graphic novel format did. Mm-hmm. So it seems like flashbacks are a lot more common, and that's just kind of, like, begins to splice the story to where it seems like it's not really chronological, but then they slowly become, like, it slowly becomes chronological. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what happens. In the book, they start off at like a prologue about their childhood, and then I think just after that, it really just goes on to like their time at the Imperial Academy. So I'm like, it is. How much detail yeah, do you get about it, their it is childhood? Really just... Sorry. How much detail hmm. do you get about their childhood? Well, I guess like some like specific aspects, uh, like little crucial things revealing like why they have a certain like, I guess, personality trait are revealed in, like, little flashbacks or, like, little, like, chance exchanges of dialogue throughout the story. But generally, you get to, like, understand their family life, a little bit about their culture, and then kind of, like, the different... Because originally they start off, like, one being part of, like, the... I, I forgot what they called it. It was, like, the um like the first generation, like, the first people who oh, were, like, born Angelican, and then the people who... Yeah, and, like, the second waivers who traveled there. Um, you kind of get like a difference in like their kinds of like territory or sort of like the land that they live on. Okay. Um, but then that it just kind of progresses from that onto like their forming of like their bonds in the academy. Okay, and stuff. that's really interesting. I won't say they spend a super long time with their childhood, but like you know, it mm-hmm. starts out the Battle of Hoth, like I said, but then they flash back, and it just kind of it tells their childhood in a very linear way, and there's few flashbacks to that childhood period throughout like the rest of the story. Like it, and it it tells like this whole story. It tells like the story of them like meeting and yeah. I think it goes um yeah. It it's probably a significant enough portion of volume one. So that's kind of interesting. So it just starts off like that one major battle on Hoth, and it just goes back, and it kind of just like unveils their entire, at least the entire foundation of their childhood, kind of like all in that one story, and then goes right back to the, like begins chronologically. Then yeah, I, yeah, um, yeah. There's like a a fairly long chapter dedicated to it, dedicated to just their time <laughs> as a childhood before they go to the academy. That's pretty cool, though. Like, you get to form, like, a greater relationship with the characters yeah. that way. So what did you think about, like, I guess maybe, like, how it portrayed the war? Or, I guess, like, in terms of, um, 
I guess just like the level of severity or I'm not really sure if like matureness or maturity is the correct term. I'm trying to figure out like how to like not really painting as like a space opera sort of like science yeah. fantasy kind of thing that Star Wars is, but more so like re obviously not realism, yeah. but portraying a war with some sort of like realism as to how yeah, I get what you feel. mean. Um, I thought it was a lot deeper than the movie anyway. Um, I thought it was, mm. you know, like it was trying to be a more interesting. It kind of understands that you've already seen the movie, you already know all these characters, um, and it yeah. it kind of tells a story around it, and it tells a backstory of like, you know, maybe not necessarily characters in the movies, but like characters adjacent to characters in the movies. Um, hmm. You know, that's yeah. what I felt like. I feel like it does give more of a background on, like, the war and, like, how people felt about it. Um, I don't think it's better expressed than with, like, the character of Nash. Like, you know, the stereotypical Alderanian mm. in Star Wars is, um, my planet was destroyed and now I hate the Empire, but, um... <laughs> but... tragic. And then Nash kind of just falls into this sort of, like, fanaticism, like, serving the Empire, because now that yeah. he's, like, lost Alderaan, it's like... The Empire is literally my family. This is my world, yeah. essentially, that I have to live in now. Yeah, and I thought that was super interesting um, to see that. Yeah, it's not just like the typical, like, oh, just going to go join the Rebellion. But now it's like, you really get to see, like, the Empire's whole tactic of ruling through fear. And how that fear, like, allows, like, the members who even, like, thought of, like, even remotely thought about doing something, like, against Imperial Order... Now they just want to remain in the Empire because they see that show of force. There's definitely, like, a spectrum of, like, Thane to Sienna to Nash, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's, um... Right, right. Yeah. Kind of like someone who's grown tired of the Empire and has seen, like, the show of force with a Death Star, and it's now just like, this is insane, this is unethical, just, there, there's nothing... I mean, I mean, I, I think I stressed this before, but, like, planet killers are stupid. Anything, anything that, like, focuses... I, I guess Star Wars at the time was fine, because, of course, it was only 30 years after World War II, and it's based on World War II in space, and essentially just, like, just envisioning the atom bomb, but it's now a weapon of that uh, kind I mean, of magnitude. Um, we, we, but I guess, like... I, I, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm trying not to get into semantics, like... I mean, it's not solely based on World War II. Like, I understand where you're coming from, but, <laughs> but I mean, there are definitely other influences. Like, you can see, like, the American Revolution and, like, um, Lucas explicitly said Vietnam, too, I think. Oh, yeah, right, right, on uh, the Battle of Vendor. Yeah, but I think it was kind of the whole thing, too. Like, I think he was inspired to, like, make Star Wars as a whole because of, like, Vietnam. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I can kind of see that too. I think for some reason I just, just like drew more parallels from World yeah, War II. Because I guess just some of those, because I, I think just some of those themes are a lot more present to me. But then like, I, I do definitely get like why he'd like get some of the things that he included in Star Wars from the Vietnam War. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I definitely see the parallels to World War II. Also, I just see, I just don't necessarily see like, um, you know, really any parallel for the rebellion in World War Two. Right, right. Yeah, that's understandable, because you wouldn't really 
consider them as like the allied powers because they weren't really like a global superpower to begin with they're sort of like began with like hit and run tactics and people who were of course rebelling from the empire so do you get like the thing that you said the connection to the american revolution yeah. more so than them being like the allies yeah. yeah i definitely do agree with you that there's like a different like line between like thane sienna and nash depending like how they view the empire like how it's sort of affected their like i guess mental state or, like their mindset yeah, definitely um speaking of nash what was up with that epilogue <laughs> i don't um, know apparently he's like <laughs> oh yeah you read the epilogue before sorry yeah it was, it was a long time ago though but Apparently he's like, I'm not sure if he's in command of like the Imperial Remnant or something, but it's like the, the Empire will rise again or something. Yeah. I'm, I'm not I, sure I if he's like up, a I looked him up on Wikipedia, I looked up Nash, and um, this is like, this book slash webcomic slash manga is um like his last appearance chronologically. Like he appeared in... um. Dang. Uh, you you know, uh, from a certain point of view, he appeared in The Empire Strikes Back from a certain point of view. Um. Hmm. But, like, th that's pretty much it. I think there's, like... This is really just in the book. Yeah, he appears in a mobile game. But other than that, nice. other than Lost Stars, the mobile game, and, uh, from a certain point of view, um, Empire Strikes Back... Those are his only appearances. Literally nothing has been done with him <laughs> since the book came out in 2015. That's crazy. You think that, that there'd be, like, something. Because apparently if it seems like he's in command, or, like, one of the commanders, like, the Imperial Remnant, Remnant in this case, it's like you'd think there'd be a little bit more involving him. I don't even... I honestly wouldn't be surprised to see him, like, or at least a mentioning of him in, like, a Battlefront 2 with Inferno Squad. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, like, he... Yeah, looking at the Wikipedia... Like, he vows to, um... Make the Empire rise again to take down the New Republic and to avenge Sienna's death. And since then, he has not done that. <laughs> Does he, like, go he off into not. the Unknown Regions and confer with, um, Reborn Palpatine, or? Reborn Palpatine. Yeah, I, I don't even know how they brought Palpatine back, but I think that could be okay. possible. It doesn't say that he goes to the no, Unknown Regions, No, it doesn't. Or... Um, stay on target. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, the last thing on his Wikipedia biography is, um, he watched as an Imperial fleet prepared for a strike against the Republic and vowed to avenge Sienna's purported death. That's, that's his last chronological appearance, and they've done nothing with him in, like, five, six years. Jeez. Just, I, I don't know, if they're making Battlefront 3, Nash should be the villain of Battlefront 3. Or the Mandalorian. <laughs> that would be or interesting. Or the Mandalorian. I'd be super excited if Nash was oh the new God. villain in the Mandalorian. You know Nash? That, um, that, <laughs> that character 
from the 2015 uh, Star Wars Junior romance novel. Yeah, he's the new villain of Disney's uh, premier oh live-action money-making TV show. Oh Mass Windrider. It's the producers, the Mandalorian, are just listening into this podcast. Like, write that down. <laughs> Yeah, I honestly would like to see a lot of these characters come back in some sort of form. Hopefully, like, like I'm not saying that she shouldn't write another book, obviously, but um, that'd be cool to see them in another book. But I feel like it'd be interesting to see them in like a show. Lost Stars 2 Electric sort of Boogaloo. <laughs> that'd be interesting, though. Like the Imperial Remnant and then Against the Rebellion. Or the new new republic is the new republic at that time. Um, I think after Battle of Jakku, it was New Republic. Um, wait, right. wait, okay, wait. All right, so I looked up the Thane on um Wikipedia. Looks like he hmm. is mentioned in Battlefront too. Yeah. Really? Oh, let me actually Still look no that. reference to um Nash, my favorite character. <laughs> <laughs> He's mentioned once in Battlefront 2. Hold on. Because I've never heard that. Like, when, does it say, like, when that piece of dialogue is said? Um, let me look here. Star Wars Battlefront 2 mentioned only. I'm not sure, because the Rebellion... Maybe they mentioned him when, like, Aiden Versio turned to the Rebellion or something. I'm not really sure. Like, I've, I've never heard him referenced before. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, I don't, I don't really see it on um, Wikipedia, but I, yeah, that's kind of interesting, actually. Um, I think sorry, you go. I'm trying to find the page. I'll try to do that. Although one of the things, <laughs> like obviously, I don't mean to joke about the virus. It is a serious deal. But I, I was when I read the part where they mentioned the X-wing squadron oh. that <laughs> thing becomes a part of Corona Squadron, and like. What are the odds of me picking this book? You're like, wait a minute. They were foreshadowing something all along. Um, so speaking of Battle of Jakku, um, so this was released in 2015. It was released on uh, an event called Force Friday, where they released a bunch of new Star hmm. Wars books, and it was um, in the lead-up to Episode 7. Um, and so this is actually the first appearance of the Battle of Jakku, if you don't count Aftermath, and I don't. I actually haven't read Aftermath. Um, but yeah, this and Aftermath were actually released on the same um, on the same day. In the lead up to Force Awakens, it was called Force Friday, and those were the first. And yeah, those were the first appearances of Jakku. This is the first appearance of the Battle of Jakku. Hmm. Um, and I feel like I I, I would have I, I feel like I'd like episode 7 more now like if I actually had like seen this battle of Jakku stuff and I understood like what actually happened in between 6 and 7 in canon 
Yeah. So would it like create like a better understanding with the story or like with the book? Sorry, what do you mean exactly? Like, would knowing about like the Battle of Jakku like allow for a better connection to the book and like how it ties into like the Star Wars universe? I well, knowing about the Battle of Jakku would have helped me enjoy like Episode Seven more. Like, I enjoyed it when it, yeah. Oh, very. Right, right. I still think it's kind of weird that if Jakku was just like in the middle of nowhere, why was it the Empire's last stand? I, maybe because I didn't expect the rebels to go there. Or... But apparently Palpatine had like, like something like a... special there. But like, if this is just the middle hmm. of nowhere, then I don't know. But also, like, if Palpatine had something there, then why would his son bring Rey to Jakku if there was actually something there? I don't know. Uh, I mean. Uh, who knows? I mean, they have. I mean, they, in the in the book, they reference Palpatine's uh, preference for theatrics rather than like legitimate strategy, or at least he does have strategies. Obviously, Fair. but like, um, f like frontline military strategies. Yeah, Palpatine has always been um, campy. <laughs> um, best Star Wars villain. <laughs> yeah. At least one of them. But kind of like, um, like just a little uh, thing that they include in the book where they kind of have like the hollow propaganda thing where essentially Palpatine looks like how he would look from like the Clone Wars oh, show, yeah, essentially. That was in like Rebels, actually. Relatively, like, yeah, like they'd have him look like that, but then when he actually like descends down like the ramp to the Lambda Clash shuttle, he's like all like disheveled and wrinkled and like seems like he's not even human i kind of like how they did that like how they're sort of been like kind of led to believe like the empire is just, like this whole like grand regime or something like that and that they're being led by this charismatic like practical strategical leader and then they just see like the truth behind it all and it's just just very i guess just shocking for them yeah um and like how they have like little things like that in the story yeah it's kind of i mean um they did that in uh, Rebels. That was something Palpatine did. Was he made a hologram of like himself looking like he did before um, his accident, <laughs> um, uh, to, in order to or just got thrown down the desk. In order to turn Ezra to try to turn Ezra to the dark side. Did you watch Rebels? Hmm. I watched some episodes. You of gotta it. watch all I of think, Rebels. Like season one. You, you gotta watch the whole thing. And yeah, we have Disney Plus, so I'll find the time to do that. Yeah, you, you, I'm sorry. It's just kind of, you gotta watch Rebels, okay? <laughs> All right. I, I will. I'll right. make sure to do that. <laughs> I will have to admit, they did a great job designing the ghost. Yeah, um, they did such a like great they're... job that in Episode 9, a lot of the ships in the final battle are just duplicates of the ghost. Oh no, what actually happened it's was everywhere. episode 9 was under such a time crunch that they didn't have to time to design that many ships for the final battle. So they had, like, a computer take a few ships, including, I think, the Ghost, and just, like, mm. auto-generate some other ships based on it to fill out the crowd. Interesting. They're all just, like, deviants of the Not the ghost. just the Ghost, I think they put in a couple other, um, like, ships. But 
that was one of them, and I think you can actually see the ghost in the final battle. Yeah. So that was pretty interesting. Yep. Um, so before we took the break, um, I was going to bring up that, you know how we said, how I said before that, um, it's kind of happening around the original trilogy, <laughs> you know, um, there's like some characters in this that, you know, weren't in the original trilogy. Um, what I think is most interesting about that is like the aliens, like when they'll try to add like an alien pilot in like a. Yeah, Yendor, like the Twilight, yeah. Twilight Yendor. Um, but, you know, if, if you watch the original trilogy, uh, <laughs> there were no alien pilots. They're not. I mean, I guess you had, like, alien commanders like Admiral Ackbar, but there were Yeah, but, like, th there was never an alien in an X-Wing or in a Snowspeeder. Yeah, that does seem kind of strange, though. Like... I guess maybe like a continuity error, or like they're trying to include like just a wider range of characters. It's not really, a, yeah, it's not really a continuity error. They're just trying to retroactively make Star Wars have better world building. Hmm. <laughs> they couldn't just stick with all humans because that'd be boring. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not complaining about it. I just think it's kind of funny <laughs> they include do they have another alien pilot what was it just him i mean somewhere they included some aliens that existed like when thane was working for the uh moa the independent Wait, freighter was yendor or him yendor yeah it was it was him oh <laughs> i'm sorry they never used pronouns for him in um the manga and manga just kind of makes everyone look androgynous They're, not androgynous, but, like, manga just makes a lot of people look more feminine. Like, just like the art style? So, I, I, literally until now, yeah, literally until now, I thought Yendor was a her. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, they reference him, they reference Yendor as a he. Yeah, you kind of get that, like, the, I guess the art okay. style of the manga can be a little bit confusing. Yeah, it makes everyone look, um... Well, except for, like, Thane. Thane, it's pretty obvious, but, um, it, it makes a lot of people look, um, like they could be any gender, and, um, also incredibly young. Like, um, I don't know, I don't know, uh, in Volume 1, you, you get to see, uh, Han Solo right before the Battle of Hoth, when he was in canon, uh, 35, and he looks like he's, like, uh, 17. Epic. It's just, it's just kind People of funny. People do not what, age in anime. Yeah, it's just funny what anime does to people. <laughs> and then Leia looks even younger. Like, she looks like an actual child. Oof. It's just, it's weird what anime art style does to people. I guess to, like, make anything, like, look cool. Like, I guess, like, the, like, I guess, like, the dog fights. Yeah. 
speaking of like like the dog fights like um i don't know like the sound effects like the japanese characters the sound effects are like part of the art mm-hmm. so like they can't just remove them and translate them they just kind of add the sound effect right next to mm-hmm. it like you'll see these giant japanese characters and then right next to it there's a tiny like Wee. nice that's amazing yeah um yeah the sound effects in here are just kind of weird like um you know like a lot of the time they won't even be sound effects but like it'll look like it's a sound effect but the sound effect will just be something like smelly epic (laughs) that is indeed a sound the best onomatopoeia (laughs) Uh, yeah. So, uh, Japanese comics are weird. And I, this is, this is my only one. This is the only Japanese comic I've ever read. The only manga I've ever read. As a manga expert, I'm I'm like, not really only. I'm like, I have no idea how many manga I have. I think I have like maybe five. More than me. <laughs> As a manga expert, what is your um expert, expert opinion? opinion on manga? I think they definitely do a good job, like illustrating a lot of like the art scenes. I guess like if the sound effects don't get in the way, you could really illustrate, or at least you could really portray better portray the wider like scope of a battle, or, like of certain types of like conflicts and things. And you could definitely put like different types of I guess objects such as like ships into perspective, as well as like certain viewpoints to make things like i guess a little bit more like tense or like adrenaline pumping i guess and they do a good job with like a lot of the art but i do agree it can sometimes be a little bit confusing at times i guess it really just depends on like i guess on the era because of course the art style will evolve over time yeah all right and i haven't really read a whole lot of manga for a while (laughs) Yeah, I don't really have anything to add to that. <laughs> when are we getting anime Mandalorian? Um, hold on, I'm looking this up. Someone made a fake Mandalorian anime oh opening. I think. I'll have to check that out later. I think. One of the things I like that they yeah. did is that they didn't really have to rely on, I guess, killing a lot of characters off in order to make you like feel some sort of sympathy for them or some sort of loss. Um, it was more so like very. It was it was interesting because they could they developed certain like side characters enough that you can gain like a general like viewpoint on who they were. Um, but not yeah, get too I mean, attached them to the point where they seem like main characters. I mean, yeah, I mean, by the end of it, you just kind of, you just want them to be a guest, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, I definitely get what you mean. Um, And, uh, that caring about the characters 
is why I think that Sienna is a better and more interesting character than Thane. Don't <laughs> at me. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I just think that her journey is more interesting. Thane is just like, yeah, I'm going to be an Imperial pilot. I'm friends with Sienna. And then the death start, and then uh, Alderaan gets blown hey. up, and then he's like, nope, not nope, doing I'm this. <laughs> And then, you know, it, it takes him, like, a, what, a year or two, but, you know, he does just find his way to the Rebellion. He just seems pretty cool <clears> with it. But, like, Sienna, it takes her a lot more. Like, you know, she's internalized it so much that she'd almost, re that, like, she wants to be with Thane and she wants to leave the Empire, but she'd also almost rather right. die than join the Rebellion. So I guess, like, she has, like, a stronger sense of honor, at least being part of, like, the first wave of, uh, Angelican citizen, she's very much like a lot of her like motives or mindset is like very much rooted in the concept of honor, like maintaining one's dignity depending on who you serve, like the kind of your yeah. alliances. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. That's interesting. And I guess like it's definitely interesting to see like that concept of honor be slowly, I guess, broken or changed, like depending on like as her relationship with Thane um, becomes like I guess stronger, and then as well as. Like realizing that he's part of the rebellion, because I guess because that sort of honor that she has is like a major part or one of the major parts of her personality, and it's kind of interesting. Like when she flies her Tie Fighter down to essentially like block Nash from firing at uh, Thane's X-wing, in order because they had to let one of the X-wings get away in order to do the whole Death Star Two trap. Um, Nash kind of perceives oh, it. Oh, by the way, like Nash kind of perceives it as like this sort of bloodthirsty emotion, like wanting to kill all the rebels before anyone else does, and kind of like the honor of fighting for the Empire. Whereas she was doing it to protect her friend because she honors Thane more than the Empire. So it's kind of like having that part of personality kind of viewed differently by various people is kind of interesting. Oh yeah, I th I think it's kind of weird that they just let officers fly TIE Fighters. <laughs> yeah, there isn't just no shields. I, I, I don't know, I, okay, like, I, I, I just, aren't those guys supposed to, aren't, like, TIE Pilots, like, specially trained to be right. pilots? Like, it's not like a one-size-fits-all academy program. I mean, right? I, th I think like, they even admit it, or, like, Thane talks about it, or, like, has, like, a, some sort of, like, internal dialogue or whatever, where he discusses how, like, it, it takes probably like the large amount of guts and like bravery to be a tie pilot because you have literally no shields you get hit once you're dead i mean because when he's uh taking down some of the tie fighters and like the battle um over endor it's like what it's kind of it does actually seem kind of strange like why are you putting imperial officers in there uh, okay um i yeah I, I agree that it's weird that like to put imperial officers there but you know, um, I've been reading Alphabet Squadron about halfway through nice. it now. Nice. Is it pretty good? And, um, the main pro- Yeah, I'm enjoying it. The main protagonist of that is, um... Uh... Sorry. The main protagonist of that is, um, Eureka <laughs> Quill, who... She's working for the New Republic now, but she used to be a, um, a TIE pilot <laughs> for the Empire. And, um... She talks about how, um... About, like, she actually likes the TIE Fighters. She prefers them to X-Wings. Interesting. Um, it's like... She thinks that X-Wings have sacrificed specialization for versatility. Huh. And she's just gotten really used to flying, like, in the really, really fast right. TIE Fighters. Like, she feels like... Like, she feels like she doesn't need shields because she's learned to dodge. It offers, like, a greater sense of maneuverability. 
like mobility. Yeah. yeah. That does seem pretty interesting. Like how they've grown like so adept at like not using shields to the point where essentially their speed is the shield. Like if they go fast enough for people to be unable to target them, then they could easily score a hit on other pilots without without having the need for like Tie fighters are valid. <laughs> tie fighters. I, I agree. Tie pilots are valid, but Tie fighters are eh. I mean I guess interceptors I can the existence for bombers and interceptors I can excuse. I don't know, just Defenders are valid. Def yes, definitely. Thrawn was wrong. <laughs> Honestly. It was his TIE Defender program in Rebels. He, he was robbed. Because they were like, no, we're not going to have your extremely good Starfighter program. We're not going to continue with that. We're going to continue with the giant ball that blows up other space balls. <laughs> Ah yes, uh, we're all about creating these like cheap and expendable quick fighters, and you've made something that is relatively more costly, but can pack a shield generator, has apparently like eight cannons, and can still move at the Did insane speed of a like tie interceptor. But no, we're we're not gonna go with that. We're gonna go with the uh, mass-produced versions. Do tie defenders have hyperdrives? I don't know, actually. I don't think I've ever seen them use one oh, wait, in like just, a, the clips that I saw from Rebels, but... I just googled it. Uh, TIE Defenders also featured a hyperdrive, which allowed it to operate independently of capital hmm. ships. Well, then you have another pro for the Defender. <laughs> defenders are more valid than TIE Honestly, fighters. they were. <laughs> but apparently, they, they have to keep using TIE Fighters for some reason. It's the the Tarkin doctrine. Yeah, we got we got to be cheap and affordable here. An empire that has a yeah. nearly bottomless quintillion dollar budget. They keep using Tie Fighters. Yeah. Um. Um. And it looks like even the First Order didn't use defenders. Apparently, some of their technology was integrated into successors, but hmm. like. You see the first order. They've just got normal TIE fighters for the most part. But now it's they're stupid. jet black with the red stripes order... on them, so they're totally different. They're stupid. <laughs> They've then. got a tail gunner, but they're still ridiculous because this, the tail gunner still has no shields. It, it just, it, just go with defenders. <laughs> I, I just, I can't, I can't, I. I mean, that, that does seem kind of strange, though, how... I mean, with the First Order, I guess there's a reason why they build Starkiller Base. Because, of course, they don't have as much resources as the Empire did, because they're just a remnant. So, I mean, it would make sense they have something that large to essentially threaten multiple planets at a distance from a region that nobody yeah, knew where that, it was, and they could easily, like... Except that the, the First Order was backed by, um... The Sith Eternal. It was backed by the Final Order. I'm pretty. It was backed by Palpatine. Hmm. I'm sure. I'm pretty sure, and they were able to build that fleet of Star Destroyers. Oh gosh, the the Exegol fleet or the. <sighs> well, all right, we're we're, yeah, we're gonna Exegol. go back to the book. We're not gonna talk about Episode Nine. <laughs> we'll save that for another okay, podcast. No, no, we're gonna. Yeah. Um. Zeist. Zeist. Star Destroyer. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah, I'm gonna close my Wikipedia tabs. I'm just gonna... We're, we're gonna I strap a Death Star yeah, super is... laser to the bottom of a Star Destroyer and call it a day. 
and duct tape. <laughs> the magic of duct tape. Okay, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna um stay yeah, on target. <laughs> Alright. Yeah. Um Um, I think I ran out of notes. I think that, I think I went through all the notes I wanted to. I think there, there's something they'll, they'll try to find if you can come up with a, another topic, but there's something I want to bring up that they talk about in the war. Okay. I'm going to try to find it. Cause there's, there's a certain quote, and I remember it, but I don't remember what page it was on. I'm trying to figure out where it is. Essentially, it was during the one scene where the Empire, uh, where Thane is assigned to do, like, TIE Fighter patrols, essentially. And he kind of, like, sweeps the TIE Fighter down through, like, this, I guess, like, a valley or kind of, like, a grasslands or something. And he sees the, um, and he eventually, like, feels, like, pride in, like, flying a star, and uh, flying a starfighter, like a TIE Fighter in this case. Um, kind of, like, representing or, like, displaying the Empire's strength. But then he flies over and essentially it just, all it does is just like make people panic and fear for their lives and then he eventually sees uh below him like the um things like the bodachi like the lizard people or something like that not not trendoshans but like i guess like kind of other lizard people um being enslaved by the empire for essentially i'm not sure what reason i would assume they're just attempting to acquire more territory to garrison troops but like, i mean the empire has a noted anti-alien bias. Apparently, yeah. I mean, th there was a quote about it, but I can't find it for the life of me. Yeah, um, that actually kind of relates to the thing I was saying about, um, the aliens earlier. They kind of, uh, even, like, the old Expanded Universe tried to retroactively explain the fact that, um, the Empire was just old white guys, um, by saying, oh, they had speciesist policies. And they um, and they wouldn't let people of other species get in to the empire except for Thrawn. That's why Thrawn's special. But then, like the rebels, but then the rebels don't have any aliens either. So then they had to retroactively create alien characters to become the rebels. So I just think that's... Right, there's, I think I found the quote. So there's essentially like a local kid that begins essentially like yelling at the Bodachi being enslaved by the Emperor. He essentially like is of course like this just young kid, obviously like influenced by the nationalist propaganda of the Empire. And the quote was like, uh, that boy could be no more than seven or eight years old, the age Thane was when he decided to join the Imperial fleet. That was how evil magnified itself. It took root in the young and grew along with them. Each generation provided the next level of abuse. We're teaching children to approve of slavery. We're teaching them cruelty as a virtue. And I think that just kind of stuck with me. Just they have a lot of, like, I guess just general quotes about the war, about multiple facets of war that definitely seemed rather real or had, like, a lot of resonance. Yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, that quote isn't in the manga, obviously, mm -hmm. but, um... That's definitely super interesting, you know. Um, you can definitely tell that, like, um, Thane is seeing sort of parallels with the prejudice yeah. against the, the lizard people. 
with um the prejudice against the first mm -hmm. waivers okay this is like that's a sort of contrast between how i guess some i guess just members of his generation members of his wave not him obviously in particular but uh kind of treated essentially people who are living on this the same planet as them they're the same in the case of Budachi, they're not really the same species, but the same world that they're both on. And yet they're still, like, treating them as, like, less than human. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they well, are... Yeah, but, like, obviously... Human. <laughs> like, not treating them equally or with, like, same rights, obviously, because that is the planet the Bodachi live on. Less than alien. <laughs> well, I'm sorry for saying that incorrectly. <laughs> They're not treating them like people should treat lizard people. Remember that time Han Solo said to Java, you're a wonderful human being? <laughs> Did he actually say that? Yeah, in the special oh edition. God. It's because, um, that scene, he was originally just talking to, like, a normal guy. Oh, nice. <laughs> before they digitally added in Jabba. The original footage was just him talking to a normal guy. <laughs> That, that'd be amazing <laughs> if they kept that line in the actual film. Well, they did keep it in the actual film, where, where he calls Jabba a wonderful human yeah, being. Like, the original it's like Star the special Wars? Version, the special edition of it, though. Yeah, well, okay, well, okay, so... The original scene was unused footage from the original movie. Um, where Han was going to be talking to Jabba. Hmm. Um, but Jabba wasn't, like, a slug yet. He was just a normal guy. But then in the special editions, they went back and they digitally added in Jabba. Oh, interesting. But Jabba still says you're a wonderful human being. <laughs> or Han still says you're a wonderful human being, Jabba. Epic. Um, one speciesist. <laughs> the Empire is speciesist. We must cancel them. Yeah, um... We should do that. We should cancel, cancel the, empire. the empire. Was there anything else you particularly wanted to talk about? You know, sure. I mean, I just kind of wanted to talk about like how it, I guess, just displayed the war and like the various, like, just I guess, perspectives of it. It's like I like how they kind of did that in the story. I haven't read a whole lot. I think the other Star Wars book that I've read that really does that, I think it was Order sixty six. Um, but I haven't read that one in a long time either. Oh, I've been meaning to get to the Republic Commando novels at some point because I've heard mm. they're good. But also, I have so many others I need to get through. <laughs> um. But, okay, so... Alright. Um, that's definitely interesting. Um... Is there anything you're doing for May the 4th be with you? Which is the day I think this episode will be out? Um, I am not sure. I'll probably be either binge-watching The Mandalorian or binge-watching Rebels or reading some form of Star Wars book. You know, um, uh, first episode of Bad Batch comes out that day. Oh, I thought they already released it. Or was that... Oh, wait, so... I think, uh, was the Bad Batch oh, introduced um, in Season 7 of Clone Wars, and they're making, like, their own show now? They, they were. They were, yeah. They've they've got a spin-off oh, cool. coming out on May the 4th. Yeah, the first episode is 70 Jeez. minutes. Well, that's pretty neat. Yeah, um... 
yeah, it's about, yeah, it's like a spit, yeah, it stars the Bad Batch, um, and it, like, deals with Order 66 in the aftermath. That is really cool. I'll also check that out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Have you seen Clone Wars Season I have not. Um, I've won. Justice, <laughs> it has been a year. It has literally been a year. The finale of Clone Wars Season 7 came out on May the 4th last year. <laughs> Justice? I'll watch it. <laughs> you have no excuse. Homework. It's been a... You haven't had so much homework for It has a felt year. like it. It's the amount of projects and exams. Justice? Like... Justice... It has been a year. <laughs> but yeah, they've got their own show. Episodes coming out weekly, I think. Or, no, I think the first one comes out on May the 4th, and then the next one comes out on the Friday after that. So two of the first week, and then weekly after that, I think. Um, I think what I'm going to do is, I have the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge cookbook. Hmm. And I think I'm going to make something out of that. And um, probably watch Solo. Oh, nice. That'd be really interesting. Yeah. Um, do you want to discuss what we're doing for our next podcast? Sure. You need to come up with an idea. Um, I kind of want to do something from Legends. And I liked how, and I liked this, um, where we each did like a different version of the same story. Mm -hmm. I liked this idea. I liked getting to discuss the differences yeah. and stuff. Um, so there's a couple examples that I can think of from Legends. Um, I'm thinking we could either do like Shadows of the Empire or Force Unleashed. Would you be up for either of those? I'm going to try to see real quick which one I know the most about. So I think um, I remember playing the Force Unleashed of... game before. Um, I have the Force Unleashed game and comic, and I have the Shadows of the Empire novel. Okay, I think I might know a little bit more about Force Unleashed. Alright, so you want to yeah. do that one? Sounds like a good idea. Alrighty, um... So which one do you want to do? Do you want to do the game or the book or the comic? Because there are, because there are those. Do they all follow like the similar story, or is there like slightly different, um, I guess, perspectives or? I think there's slight differences, but they all pretty much tell the same story. Okay. Um, I guess maybe we could focus on the game. Well, like, I was thinking we would each do, like, oh, one neat. of them. Oh, okay. Um, um, I, I, I could do the novel if I could find it somewhere sure. online. I could buy it. I could do the novel. Um, uh, and then, I, I don't know, do you want to do the comic or the game? Yeah, I guess I can do the game. Uh, but if you, if you don't end up finding the All book, right, then... then I could try to find something on it. Find like a different format. Yeah, alright. Um, 
All right, look, here's the paperback for eight bucks on Amazon. Hmm. Awesome. Um, yeah, so let's do that. That sounds good. Um, so I guess we'll uh, see our listeners um, next time. That sounds good. Uh, so next next month i guess i don't know next episode june 4th or something epico um have a nice month uh gamers <laughs> can't see it, but i'm gabbing may the force be with you